Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Chris Cabrera, founder and CEO of Exactly. We'll be covering three main topic areas with Chris today. First, the Exactly journey from sales compensation to sales performance management to intelligent revenue. Second, intelligent revenue, what's the definition of the business value? And third, learnings from a founder who's went from startup to private equity portfolio company CEO. Chris, please take a moment to give a brief background of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Thanks, Ray. Uh, great to be with you and you know, in your audience. I founded exactly back in 2005, so I've been in the compensation uh, space for a long time, about 25 years. I started uh, with a company called Calidus Software back in 1998, and then I founded exactly in 2005 and uh, as the first SaaS company in the space, took it public in 2015. And then Vista Private Equity uh, bought me in 2017, took it private, and I've been uh, operating under the Vista flag since uh, 2017. And uh, it's been a great, great journey for the last five years under them. And you know, we've been transforming the company and really expanding beyond just comp into a, an intelligent revenue platform, which we'll, I'm sure, talk a lot about. So it's been an exciting ride and really exciting to talk to you about it. Congratulations on the journey so far. And I feel like I'm almost having a Vista Equity Portfolio reunion here on the Metrics of Measure Up because we've had both the founder and CEO of SalesLoft and Nick Matter from Gainsight on the show. Oh, those guys are great. Yeah, Nick and I go way back. We we started a CEO group back when both of us were, our companies were less than $5 million in revenue years and years ago. So it's been fun to kind of watch each other grow and help each other grow and then now be both part of the family. It's kind of fun. It's interesting. Even though we've become a much larger and more mature industry, it's still a small industry here in the SaaS world, especially in Northern California. But, you know, when people think of exactly, they may think of incentive compensation management or sales performance management, but exactly is much more. So can you share a little bit of the recent evolution of exactly over the last one to two years? Yeah, they certainly do. And that, and, that, and that's rightfully so. I mean, that is our roots. We founded the company on compensation automation. We built a $100 million public company. Um, as I say, took it public in 2015. And that's really, we were kind of a one-trick pony doing compensation automation. But one of the reasons that I was excited to take it private and, and the reason I was attracted to the Vista you know, idea was their, their proposal to me was, you know, we can take it out of the public eye and they could sort of be my rich uncle to go do some acquisitions and help me really outside the public eye build a portfolio or a platform play uh, so that we could do more than just, you know, comp because, you know, our customers were just asking and demanding a lot more than that. And so today the company really does three big things. Uh, we do sales planning. So you think about, you know, every year companies go through a process where they try to figure out how many reps are we going to hire? What's their productivity going to be? When are we going to hire them? You know, all, all that kind of stuff. They, they generally guess about 30 or 40 different things. And it turns out we know 
the majority of those guesses that they make because we have all the comp data and we know how how the reps perform and we know what the territories look like. And so we got into the sales planning piece. Of course, we do the comp piece. That's the second big pillar. And then the third big pillar we do is pipeline management and sales forecasting. And so those are the, the three big things we do. And then within that, there's lots of uh, other things we do like you know commission expense forecasting and commission accounting and things like that. But those are the three big pillars today that we do. And it's, it's uh, all under this umbrella of intelligent revenue. Uh, we call it the IRP or intelligent revenue platform. Well, we're going to double click on intelligent revenue in a few minutes, but kind of wanted to first drill down on this emerging category of software, and it's under the umbrella of revenue operations and intelligence. And a lot of the analysts are talking a lot about it. And one of the questions I have for you is when you think about a revenue operations intelligence platform, if that's the category you think intelligent revenue is in, do you see it more as a system of record, a system of engagement, or really kind of a system of intelligence? Well, I don't know. It can be all those things. I mean, I think one of the things that's so exciting about our, our space right now is it's it's a jump ball. I mean, there's a coalescing of a whole bunch of things happening right now where these uh, these spaces are sort of merging together. There's a there's quite a lot of action happening. There's a lot of tectonic plates that are shifting. There's acquisitions happening. We're doing some of those acquisitions, uh, and we will continue to do those acquisitions. And I think the reason that you're seeing all that happening is the world is waking up to the fact that people don't want siloed apps anymore. You know, I, as a CEO, am very frustrated that I own 60 different SaaS apps, independent SaaS vendors. It drives me insane and I'm paying way too much money for it. So I'm on a, on a crusade to get rid of SaaS apps within my company because I don't want all these individual siloed apps. I want less vendors that provide me more apps where there's intelligence happening between these apps. I don't want an app that just does one thing and it stands alone by itself. I want apps that talk to each other in a deep way that share data, that use data, that provide me intelligence rather than just, you know, the first thing that happened when everybody moved to the cloud was we all just kind of automated spreadsheets we automated things and that was great and that was wonderful and we all made great you know living doing that but now people want intelligence they want these apps to tell them how to do things in a much smarter way and i, I think that's where the world is going and we're we're certainly right in the middle of all that let's double click into the category that you're coining intelligent revenue platform so can you tell me a little bit about what's contained within the intelligent revenue platform kind of space yeah, I mean, it might sound corny or people might be listening going, come on, Chris, it sounds like some marketing thing. And maybe it is. But, you know, I think it's it really as I think about it as a CEO, I wake up every day thinking about how to get more revenue. Right. And when I started this company, our tagline was incent right, sell more. Right. Because all I was about was helping companies design better comp plans so they could sell more revenue. That was our job in life. And we went about doing that. And we made lots of money doing that. And we help companies make a lot of money doing that. But I think as time went on, we realized that not all revenue is created equal, right? And you think about it. And the best example I can give you is everyone, you know, we're talking about SaaS. Everybody understands the SaaS example. Although, of course, many, 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 many of our companies are not SaaS. So let me be clear about that. But just to give you an example, let's think about SaaS for a second. 
And let's think about two sales reps that are sitting in two cubicles next to each other, even though today maybe they're in two offices in two different zip codes. But again, just bear with me. And so one of them sells 100K one-year SaaS deal, and the person next to him or the zip code next to him sells the same 100K SaaS deal, but it's a five-year deal and it has a 5% increase per year. What's amazing about those two deals is if you look at the commission structures of every company out there today, for the most part, the pay will be exactly the same for those two deals. Companies are not incentivizing differently for the number of years of the contract and the percent increase per year. But as a CEO, I can tell you those deals are not equal, right? One of those deals is way better for me as a CEO than the other. And I probably don't need to tell you which one. And so, you know, not to be corny or whatever, but I look at one of those as an intelligent piece of revenue and one's kind of a dumb revenue. If you're only signing a one-year deal with no increases, that's ridiculous. That's dumb. And so that's an example. It's a very simple example, but I could give you a hundred different more you know, examples like that. And that's what I mean by intelligent revenue. And so we help our customers find ways to design comp plans that drive intelligent revenue, better, healthier, cleaner, more resilient, more repetitive revenue that sticks around for a lot longer. That's what we mean by intelligent revenue. You know, this actually takes me in a direction I didn't expect to go here because often when you think or when you hear about revenue operations and intelligence category, it centers around forecasting and which deals are going to close when. But you're actually integrating it into better intelligent planning for the future, which I would think could even go into which customer segments, what vertical industries, et cetera, actually produce not only the highest win rate, but maybe the highest net dollar retention over time? Well, it's all those things, right? I mean, this is this is why that word intelligence is so important. I mean, we're providing intelligence for all those things. We're providing tele- intelligence on how you plan out who you're going to hire, when, where you're going to put them, what territories you're going to create. You know, right from the get-go, how do you create? You know, we have software that allows you to create fair territories, right? One of the biggest problems we've seen across our customers is repetition because why? Well, they they think Susie has a better territory than Johnny and Johnny's pissed off because it's not, you know, it's very difficult to create fair territories. Well, it's actually not that difficult when you have a system like ours that actually knows the data and can create those. So we, we help them make intelligent decisions right from the beginning on how you create the right go-to-market, you know, structures. And then we help them create intelligent go-to-market plans and then we help them create intelligent forecasts. And so it, it is providing intelligent intelligence all the way through. And that's really why we call it this platform. One more point is we've been at this for over 17 years. When we started this business, call it blind, dumb luck, or, or we were incredibly intelligent. I'll let you decide. But we put it in our contracts that we had the right to use our customers' data in an aggregated and anonymized way. Our customers had the right to opt out of that, of us doing that. And I can remember when we did this, I was like, geez, if we if we could get 40% of our customers to opt in, I mean, we're, that's going to be a data boon for us. Would you believe that 97% 
of our customers opt in. Now, keep in mind, you know, we'll do over $200 million this year in revenue. We have over half a million people that get paid through exactly over 150 countries in 18 different languages all over the globe. That's a tremendous amount of data. We're talking billions and billions and billions of transactions over 17 years. That's a lot of data, otherwise known as intelligence, right? And so when you can share that intelligence in an aggregated anonymized way, and you can serve it up to your customers and say, hey, you know, this is how you should be motivating people or incentivizing people or spiffing people or designing a plan or designing a territory. That's true intelligence. No, that, that's phenomenal. And Chris, most of our listening audience is in the B2B SaaS and cloud. So I'm going to double click on that industry for a moment. And it's regarding customer success because customer success about 48% of the time are responsible for renewals, but only 18% of the time are they responsible for the upsell and cross-sell motion. So my first question is, do you have the same type of data and insights of how customer success organizations should be organized? Like how many accounts or how much ARR? Are you able to provide that type of intelligence? We do. We have a lot of data on the, on companies, our customers that are set up that way. And, and we have the ability to ping this data set in unique ways and say, hey, for customers of this size, in this industry, in this country that look like this, how does it compare to the, whatever customer is interested in that? And it can be very illuminating. So yeah, it's very, very instructive. Can companies actually subscribe to just get the data or, the, or they have to be using your platform for that type of access? Uh, that's a good question. I think we do allow companies to get, get just the data, but generally what we find is, you know, they, they get so excited that they, they become customers pretty quickly. Yeah. Let me ask you this question, because our company's name is RevOps Squared. We really founded a company to help better align the go-to-market teams across marketing, sales, and customer success. And RevOps as a profession and a function has really exploded over the last two to three years. So my question is for your platform, do you find it's more geared towards the revenue operations professional or more for that frontline kind of line manager into sales or CS organization? Well, again, I think that there's a uh, really interesting thing happening here in the world. I think, you know, it used to be that RevOps was kind of this, you know, its own thing and you kind of had sales ops and, you know, RevOps finance people. I think there's a merging of it happening, right? I think sales ops and RevOps are merging. I think you're seeing even CFOs and CSOs, you know, there's, there's merging, you know, in that area as well. And so, I don't know. I mean, I think we, we see it both ways. I mean, we used to primarily deal in the finance area because we were primarily dealing in the comp space. As we've moved now or, or expanded now to help uh, CSOs and CROs with pipeline management and forecast management, we've really started to bridge much more into the CSO ranks. And so, you know, CSOs and, and CROs, we're, we're just, we're seeing them you know, a lot more. They all seem to want the same data and they're all, it's all merging together. I'm just finding everybody wanting the same stuff now. The reason I asked a question, Chris, was I always talk to CEOs and CFOs and CROs about how to make revenue operations a more strategic function. And then beyond the foundational job they have, which is data management, process automation, some level of revenue technology integration and reporting, 
that the strategic RevOps leaders in this industry will be able to gain insights into the information that platforms like yours are serving up and then be able to make recommendations on how to improve, whether that's cash payback period or gross dollar retention. So that's why I think the most strategic revenue operations leaders are going to love your platform. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, when I start talking about this, this thing that I was mentioning, we call it rule of 10, where we incentivize our reps to get a 10, which is the they add up the number of years of a contract plus the percent increase per year. And the target is 10, five-year contracts with 5% increases per year. And if they don't get a seven or greater, they're getting decremented on their commission check. It's incredible how impactful that is to the business, right? And when we talk about this to RevOps leaders, they the light bulbs start going on. They start because they, they, they start realizing that they're not running the business that way. I'll give you another example. Like a lot of times when I go in and talk to RevOps people, and and I'll say, hey, you know, how are you guys? Are you disincentivizing discounting? And a hundred percent of the time, they say yes. And I say, oh, great. Well, how are you doing that? Well, we pay on the net. <laughs> and they really believe that they are disincentivizing discounting by paying on the net, but they're not. And the example I always come back with is the simple, you know, housing example because everyone can relate to it. Imagine that you're, you know, selling your house for a million dollars. You hire, the, you know, the agent who you agree to pay three percent. So they they do the math right away. They know they're going to get thirty thousand dollars when they sell your house. What happens on day one when you get an offer for nine hundred thousand? The agent does the math and says, "I'm going to make twenty-seven thousand for one day's work." What do you think they're going to do? They're going to tell you your house is worth nine hundred thousand. Now think about that. You just lost 10% of the value of your house. They made substantially the same amount of money. They made 27,000, they're happy. You just got screwed, right? That's what's happening when you pay on the net. It is not disincentivizing discounting. The way to disincentivize discounting is to pay different percentages based on the actual percentages that the reps are discounting. But people don't do that. And the reason they don't do that is because the manual systems that they're using, it's so complicated that they just, it's not worth the brain damage to do, right? But imagine if you paid differently, if your average discount was 30% and you paid the rep differently at 29 and a half, 29.4, 29.3, you would see a different behavior happen at every one of those points of, of discount. And it would literally change your business. Now imagine if you have a thousand reps, Think of the behavioral differences that will happen. And when we show that and we show how we've done that for other clients, we see the light bulbs go on in the, in the minds of these folks that you're talking about. And they realize the, the maximum behavioral change that can happen when you multiply it times how many reps they have worldwide. It's pretty phenomenal. You know, it's interesting you said that, Chris, because I had a forecasting is always such a challenging activity. In most companies, we did some research on forecast management accuracy in the B2B SaaS world, and the majority were within a plus minus error of 6 to 10% against their quarterly new business forecast. One of the things we used to do was actually we paid a spiff to sales management 
based upon how accurate their forecast was. So if they were within 5% or better, we would pay them an accelerator than if they were at 6 to 10%. What do you think about that as a, another kind of way to inset forecast accuracy? Look, I think anything you can do to have your forecast be more accurate is great. But I would tell you that there are better ways to get more accurate forecasts. For example, we have a forecasting application that uses AI, right? So in 2022, you can use technology to help you, right? And so you don't have to be beholden to this, this dark science of let's just hope these guys can figure it out and guess. The computers can do pattern recognition on all the deals that have closed historically and look at you know, 60, 70, 80, 100 different inputs, things that we as humans can't even see, the patterns we can't even see as to why deals have closed historically and can help us answer the question whether this deal that we say is going to close is or is not likely to close. Our system will do sentiment analysis of all the email traffic that's happening between the customer and the prospect. We have a partnership with Zoom Info where all the calls that are being recorded, that are being transcribed, it's reading all the sentiment analysis that's in those calls and the same thing's happening. And so we can, you know, imagine how much more accurate the forecast can be when you, you know, do, do that level of uh, of, of stuff happening. I think that's really where the future is going. And by the way, these models get smarter and smarter the more you use products like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. You look at the number of signals that need to go into a forecast, whether that's activity-based, meeting-based, kind of tonal-based. It's amazing that we can do that today. And it all comes back to the name of our podcast, Metrics That Measure Up. So if you look at an intelligent revenue platform and say, what are the top three kind of outcome metrics, lagging indicators that a CEO or CFO of a B2B SaaS company could improve using intelligent revenue? Top three. Boy, I mean, there's just so many now. I, I just, like the thing we were just talking about, the forecast accuracy, I would certainly put that one up there. But one of the things that we were just saying, the ultimate accuracy number is important, but think of it this way. Not only is the ultimate number important, but since the machines, the AI model is helping to determine the pattern recognition and matching and telling us whether this deal is likely to close or not, it's also an educational tool because it's gonna tell the rep, hey, you're saying this deal is gonna close, but here's the reason the machines don't think you're right. So go address these things, right? Like the sentiment between you and your customer is, is worse than the sentiment of deals that close, meaning for whatever reason, you know, it's negative between your customers. So go, go call the customer and find out. Or the amount of times you've communicated with the customer is less than, than for those deals that close or, you know, whatever it might be. And so it's actually helping them with a roadmap to success. So I hear, I understand your question, like, okay, so the end result is, it, you know, was it more accurate? But I'm also saying it's the little, you know, things, the baby steps in, the, in between on how to get there that, that I think are even more important than the end result. But anyway, to your question, I would look at the forecast accuracy. That would certainly be one of them. Can I throw out something to you, Chris? Yeah. Because I call, based upon today's macroeconomic kind of environment, 
we have a cautious capital investor, whether that's private markets or public market. So revenue growth efficiency metrics are becoming more important. An example, I see a lot of investors looking at things like CAC payback period. How do we compress CAC payback period or CAC ratio, which is how many dollars of sales and marketing do I need to invest to predictably add $1 of new ARR? So I'm seeing some of these revenue efficiency metrics really growing importance into me an intelligent revenue culture could really impact those type of metrics. I could not agree with you more. I mean, you know, if if you're a CEO right now, especially given what you just said and what's going on in the world around you, if you're not focused on productivity uh, numbers, then uh, you might not be in your seat much longer. <laughs> you know, I know I, for one, am, am very, very crystally focused on what our productivity per head is and how I can make it better in the coming months and, and quarters. So I would be, I'd be and, and there's many productivity metrics. You mentioned a couple of the CAC stuff. You know, you could just look at pure productivity per head, productivity, you know, in any measure you could find. And I think tools that can help you be more productive, we've been talking about a number of them on this call, are things that I'd be focused on. Yeah. I'd one more, and I'd love to get your feedback on this because, you know, we think a lot of times of revenue and revenue intelligence or intelligent revenue as sales or sales and marketing. But another metric, net dollar retention, which measures when you close a new customer, right, in a year, two years, will they be retained and how much will they grow through upsell and cross-sell motion? My perspective was with an intelligent revenue platform like yours, I'll be able to look at which customers are the most profitable three, five, 10 years down the road so I can maybe over-index my investment in those customers who are most profitable long-term. Make sense to you? Absolutely. You're 100% right. And your platform can enable that? 100%. Wow. I'm really impressed. I didn't know this about the Exactly platform. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Metrics That Major Up podcast today. I'd like to give our listening audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better, Chris, on a personal basis through three quick questions, if that's okay. Sure. So you're a very successful kind of B2B SaaS entrepreneur and CEO, but what other CEOs or companies do you think some must follow today for those first-time CEOs? Well, we mentioned one, which is uh, Gainsight. I think that uh, I love what they're doing. We're a Gainsight customer. I think Nick's a, a really, really strong uh, advocate and CEO, so I'd be following him for sure. Yeah, Nick's a good one. And I tell you, he's really kind of banging the drum right now on efficient revenue growth and how a great customer success organization can really drive efficient revenue growth. Second yeah, question, yeah. which tool, not yours or Gainsight, do you recommend that every B2B SaaS company should be using? Which tool? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, of Zoom Info right now. I think that that's we're getting a lot of value out of it. Yeah, I'm amazed at what Henry has done over Zoom Info, where you went from being a sales intelligence kind of data provider to really becoming more of a sales productivity platform provider. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it's very cool. Okay, last question, Chris, and that is. You know, we get reached out to by early career professionals all the time because they really love hearing, you know, people like you and Nick Mehta or Amit Bendoff from Gong. And one of the questions they ask is, what should I be doing early in my career 
so I can become a Chris Cabrera in 15 years. So what's your advice to them? Just focus on being a, a learn it all, not a know it all. You know, just be a sponge, try, try to get, not be focused on money and be focused on where can I go that I can get as much experience as possible. I think, you know, too many of the uh, young folks are too worried about, you know, the money and where the income is the highest and not not thinking about, you know, where they get the most experience. You know, you gave me a new phrase because I would say almost 50% of my guests kind of in your profile will say learning, right? Learning is key, but learn it all. I've never heard about being a learn it all. I'm going to end the podcast with that as great advice, Chris. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Thanks, Ray. Really enjoyed it. And to our audience, we really appreciate you listening to the Metrics and Measure Up podcast. And it would mean the world to us if you're getting a lot of value from guests like Chris Cabrera and the content that we discuss, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app and go ahead and give us that five-star ranking and any recommendations on what we can do to make the show even more valuable to you. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.